Hi, you're listening to the Raw Heart and Soul podcast with Tanya Carroll, where I talk with people whose life stories will inspire you and provoke thoughts about how you can live your best life by finding and following your soul purpose. Hey, did you know that I'm a coach? Well, I am. I'm a Czech professional, which means I'm a corrective exercise and physical training coach, as well as a holistic lifestyle coach. I do this face-to-face in the chiropractic clinic I share with my husband in Melbourne, as well as online all over the world. This means that I will share with you the tools that have helped others understand what living a healthy life looks and feels like, what it takes for you to get a good night's sleep, to have honest and fulfilling and meaningful relationships with the people in your life that you love, and for you to be working in a job that is fulfilling. I will help you find and live your sole purpose. I also help you understand your own personal nutrition, including digestion and all things elimination on an individual level with the stand, without the standard cookie cutter approach that just doesn't work. I have programs that include group coaching as well as one-on-one that will suit your needs and fit into your budget. If you're interested, I hope that you will go to my website, rawheartandsoul.com for more information and join our community on Facebook and Instagram at rawheartandsoul. My guest on today's podcast is R.C. Nikau, an educator and performing artist within the inner world of his own peoples and in the outer world of others. R.C. actively engages in the imperatives of his tribal traditions as a valuable tool for ensuring his own survival as a native person in a rapidly changing world. Hi, and welcome to the Raw Heart and Soul podcast. This morning I have with me R.C., um, RC is someone who I uh, learnt about about 15 years ago through a friend of mine. Um, RC, I haven't even told you this story, but I, um, I'm a Czech practitioner and one of my teachers at the time, 15 years ago, was playing the flute. And um, I had contacted him because I was due to have my third baby and I wanted some of the music that he had been playing for us to see whether he'd recorded it. And he hadn't, but he said, I know this guy who's got amazing music and um, he recommended your music. And uh, from the time my little baby was, well, before she was born, I was playing your music for her um, whilst I was pregnant and then after she was born. So I'd play it throughout the night for her and stuff. So um, I, I love your music, but can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because my viewers and all my viewers, my viewers and my listeners probably will have no idea who you are. So would you be able to give us a bit of, background about who you are and what you do? Um, A little bit of my background. Well, let's see. When we introduce ourselves, usually we start by saying that I belong to a particular culture, which in this case would be the speaking, at the Baskin speaking cultures of um, of Alaska and the group that I'm a part of live in the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And the only original group are the Apaches who live in Southern Arizona where I live today, who still speak the old Athabascan language. Um, I also live in Hawaii Mm -hmm. on occasion when I'm going to visit friends and relatives of various experiences that I've had over time. Um, Many people ask about my name. Um, There isn't anything 
um, that deals with who I am as I live in the present world, but I know an older man, a relative named me, the one who runs at them talking. So I don't know what it means, but that's what we'll call him. Awesome. the name in our family name mean the ones who wander or when the Spanish came through in the 14 and 1500s through <clears throat> this region of, of Mexico, as it was at the time, nobody knew whom they were. And they married many native people in the Pueblos and other um, communities that were interspersed along the Colorado River, the San Juan River, the Rio Grande in the western part or southwestern part of of North America. And so we got some of our name from that. We were called wanderers. So that's what the name means. Um, Presently, I live in Tucson, Arizona, in northern Sonora, as we like to call it. Um, And it would be very apropos now if we decided we need to get away from the United States (laughs) and become our own little country here, just like they've done in many other parts of of North America again. Um, I was born by an extinct volcano in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, Spent most of my time in southwestern Colorado. Yeah. Especially in the summertime when it gets over 120 degrees here. Yeah, it's hot. So, you know, and um, I spend much time with my very special friend. Um, most people say we're married, but I don't like to say that because neither, neither of us um, have a ring in our nose that say one owns the other or the other owns the other person. So we act as more or less two individuals living together with a marriage license. (laughs) So that makes it kind of fun. Do you have any children, Um, Arsene? Say again? Do you have any children? No, we don't. No, we don't. Um, We we are both school teachers. And I worked in junior high school or what they call middle school here in this country. And... um, and high school and junior college. And she worked in the primary and elementary grades, um, teaching and, you know, reading. And so we decided, I think we need to really consider (laughs) whether or not we want to have children because we have them all day, you know, um, 180 days a year and then They'll still be there when we come home at night. We're all burned out. Yeah. We want to get away in the summertime and we still have them. So we decided <laughs> now. And we're both the eldest in our family. So um, we've already had children that we've had to take care of. So yeah. Took care of all of that easily. Yeah. You fulfilled that need within you both, I guess, by through your career and through your family then. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Of course, the parents, you know, on both sides were wondering, and we said, no, we've decided not to. Yeah. So you say that you, like, you live now in Arizona, in Tucson, Arizona, but you spend time in Hawaii as well. 
does that um when you called your family the wandering family that's what your name means do you feel that energy within you like do you feel do you feel centered in one place or do you feel the pull to travel and to to still wander like your ancestors would have done well <clears throat> let me see I'm presently working on a research paper Yep. And um, I'm finding more and more, and every time I head south and west, either into the rest of the American continent or out into the Pacific, uh, we recently returned from the South Pacific region. And I found in many museums and information from many informants who are also educators <clears throat> that all the American Indian um, visual arts, a lot of the music and the way that they organize themselves as cultures all originated down in the South Pacific. Mm. And we went to the Society Islands and I found a lot of almost exact um, relationships between the people of the Americas and those people down there in the South Pacific. Mm. So I've been finding along with other cultural anthropologists that in reality, <clears throat> the Bering Strait never existed, mm. but the um, peopling of the Americas started by groups of small communities or individuals who sailed across landing in Chile and other parts of Tierra del Fuego, as it's called today. Yeah. And they wandered northward along the backbone of the Andes, or what they call in many of the sacred texts today, the sacred great snake that we followed. And I said, well, <clears throat> you know, there are other informations that we've come across too that deal with um, the visual arts some of the music, but a lot of the philosophical concepts that we inhabit today in this world. And I said, well, there's no real question that Americans actually evolved and left the Pacific regions, yeah. uh, wandered onto the land and went into the Americas. When you say the Pacifics, where do you mean? Like, do you mean Australia and like this far south? Australia, Aotearoa, much of the um, Southern Pacific Islands, um, Hawaii was probably the, the one of the last real outliers. <clears throat> and then the people from India came and peopled that island too, or those islands. And many of the Hawaiian people, of course, being curious, sailed up in and landed around Mexico on the coast and all the way up into Northern California, as they know it today. It's fascinating. Um, what do you teach? So you're a teacher in school. You said middle school. What, was your, what have you taught for most of your career? What subjects? Um, I myself am a graphic artist. I, I taught photography Yeah, wow. Uh, when they used to have real photography and I did dark room work. Wow. So I had a pretty good background in chemistry for all of that. 
Um, I also worked when I was in the military in electronics. Uh, I did both of those, working both for a school district or, or more, uh, repairing stuff that teachers would ruin. <laughs> obviously, teachers aren't able to read very well, you know. And so I would do that, plus teach graphics and, you know, and work with students about doing things and <clears throat> thinking about careers. Um, in the later period, I began teaching a whole lot about um, culture and how people, especially in North America or what's called the United States today, <clears throat> is peopled by the world and how we have problems with understanding the American philosophy <clears throat> about, let's say, cultural stratification mm -hmm. and how we keep each other at our wits end about how do I belong? Where do I belong? What am I supposed to belong with? You know, how can I really make things work in my world relative to the outer world. So <clears throat> living in a world of personality, of individualism, and then living in a world where you're surrounded by other individuals, you know, is mainly what I work in today. When did you start playing music? Uh, or, or when did music come through you? Yeah, well, I was waiting for schools of music when I was in the military. That was in the late 60s. Mm. I signed up, I did my auditioning and um, got on a list. And they said, it may be a few years, but if you're still interested, you can come <clears throat> and do the military schools of music, which are all the music schools in the Americas. Mm. And um, I decided I would wait, but in the meantime, had a traffic accident. Um, damaged my embouchure enough that I couldn't um, play very well anymore. And I found the Native American flute and I decided I would apply much of my discipline to understanding this flute from the Western European sensibility of music. And so I do that today and I continue to do that, you know, as I move around in the world. So when you said the Native American flute, I've heard you speak in another interview and you said that that wasn't traditional music, was it, for the Native American Indians, the flute? It was something that was introduced later or have I got that incorrect? Um, yeah, actually, I was a brass technician. In other words, okay. I spent time from my experiences in middle school through high school and into the universities um, to major in music. Um, I wasn't essentially interested in teaching music, but I was more interested in being a performer on brass. <clears throat> well, I got on a list of people who were interested in trumpet. So I said, um, yeah, I'm a trumpet player. Yeah. And when I found the Native American flutes, I began researching and figured out how it really works and the diversity of um, major and minor scales that are possible on the instrument, as well as, you know, other ways to play the instrument using standard um, 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 scales. 
and their techniques that are utilized in all of the world. Yeah. And so I found that all music is the same, doesn't matter what culture you come from, mm. but it's all based on that, you know, that 12 tone scale. Mm. And then the minor scales that belong to that scale. And then all the other, you know, let's say pitched um, ways to perform. And I said, oh, it's, there's no mystery here. Yeah. So when I found the flute, I started composing pieces for this instrument that would, um, in my sensibility, take it away from just the pentatonic system of performance mm -hmm. um, and found that it's not really a pentatonic instrument. It's an instrument that uses the whole scale system except for the missing um, tonic. Mm -hmm. And then there's a missing third, and that's because of the way they were <clears throat> handcrafted in the old days. Right. And even that came from the, the older tradition of people who came to the northeastern <clears throat> part of the American continent near Canada to make the flute pipes mm -hmm. or the pipe organs that were being invented in Europe. Right. And so all of this started fitting together and I said, well, this is just another musical instrument um, like the recorder, but it doesn't have the range that the recorder does because it was intended to perform a variety of musics, not just, you know, traditional music from France or Germany or, you know, any of the other places in, in Europe. Yeah. So it's been interesting. So did you change the design? Because so when I was in America about 10 years ago now, um, we did a flight out of the Grand Canyon. And um, I, I didn't know at the time that that's an area that um, from around where you were from. But in the glass cabinet, they had your flutes. So do you design the flutes yourself? Like, did you change the design of them? Or is it just a name that was given to the flutes that you used that was being promoted? Mm -hmm. No, those are flutes that were made by other people and they have collections all over. Right, okay. <laughs> say, yes, I made this, uh, Mr. Nakai made this when he was very young. I said, I've only made three when right. I was very young with the wrong kind of wood. Yeah. Until a flute maker from the Southern Plains tribes in Oklahoma and Texas came and said, we don't make flutes from that wood. Let me look at your hands. And I said, yeah, there's, there are little scars and, you know, little kinds of warts and things. He says, yeah, you, you know, this wood is too hard to work. You've got to use light woods, you know, pine or aspen or uh, western, northwestern um, cedar wood. Yeah. Um, you know, any of the soft woods work really well, but don't use oak. Yeah, <laughs> it was too hard on the hands, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's like trying to make a flute out of the gum trees in Australia. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit tough. <laughs> um, when did you then realize, so when you started playing the flute, when did you realize, because you're, in, tell me if I'm wrong with this, but you've been nominated 11 times for Grammy Award, for music Grammy Awards, is that right? It's again. Have you been nominated 11 times for Grammy Music Awards? Oh, 
Yeah, I've been nominated, yeah, about 11 or 12 times. I don't remember. I've got all the little um, medals and things in a in a drawer, you know. Yeah. And all when, the certificates. Do you think that that is one of your gifts to the world? Do you think that playing the flute is one of your gifts to the world? No. No? <laughs> I actually started it. Um, to demonstrate to people that Western European music is not the end all of all music. In fact, the end all started in Africa around the Okavango Delta. Yeah. And um, it grew out of that until people in other cultures said, I like that rhythm pattern. Mm. Oh, and what's the instrument you're, you're using? Oh, well, it looks like a harp. Well, it could be. Um, and the guitar came from Africa. Um, all the harp-like instruments came from Africa. They were all played by hand yeah. um, with gourds and, you know, and, and so all of those discoveries started coming about for me. And, um, you know, things just grew one thing or another from all of that experience of being aware of what other cultures have done, will do, and can do into the future. And I said, well, I'm going to add this instrument to that. Um, I didn't know how to play, you know, a multiple um, finger hold instrument. So yeah. luckily, my girlfriend at the time was learning how to play the concert flute. And I said, wait a minute, let me look at that middle page of the fingering diagram. And I said, I want this. <laughs> Take the middle part of your book. She said, that teaches me how to play my flutes. I said, it's showing me yeah. how I'm playing my flutes. I said, I don't have all the half stops that you have, but I do have the basic scale and it's right there. So that's where I started. And I met a few Southern Plains people, Kaiwas, Comanches, Otos, and others. And I said, how do you play this instrument? He says, you remember you were going to school up in Washington State in Seattle. <clears throat> and there was a Kiowa teacher who showed you all these songs that told their histories. But we have no notation. You have to learn to recognize the song in your mind. He says, we're a mental culture. So we don't have any written languages. So you have to listen very carefully and learn how to play those sounds on your flute. It's not going to be exact because the flutes are tuned differently. Yeah. But you can play the song. And, and that's how I started. And I found that the traditional tunings were in the key of um, F sharp minor, actually C sharp minor, the key of E major, and G minor in the key of, of um, B flat. Mm -hmm. And I said, my, I've got the two probably most widely used um, scales in the world here. And I found that many, um, of the songs that we did in the old days and the songs that modern um, powwow singers and, and um, <clears throat> people in the tribes originate and even the tribes that sing songs that are thousands of years old, I listen, I go, I can play that on my flutes.
because right. I know the scales and I know which flute I can use that will try to sound as closely to that as I can get. And it's just gone from there, leaps and bounds. So I intended it actually as a, as a teaching device that American Indians have a music culture too. Yeah. But it's the way we keep history. We don't, you know, there's nothing written. No. About American Indian history. <clears throat> um, there are Indian hobbyists we call ethnologists today um, <clears throat> who have attempted to write down the philosophies of tribes so it doesn't work because they're all family stories. There are no overall tribal stories. Right. And so, you know, so I'm music, still... <laughs> so, so music is the language. Yes, music is a language that we use to pass down history from one generation to another, from one individual to another. Um, one, of the one of my favorite songs of yours is, and I'm probably gonna say this incorrectly, but the, is it the Havasupai Lullaby from Dancing Into the Silence? Uh, what's the name of it again? It's Havasupai Lullaby. It's, it's, it's one of yours, it says from <laughs> Dancing Into the Silence off that album. You don't remember that one? It's a lullaby and it's got words in it and I, I can't understand the words or the um, words in it, but I was gonna say, what does that mean? But it, you can't remember that particular song? Um, it depends, I don't know which one. <clears throat> There's a, there is a Dene song that's called, um, it's a children's song. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's a Lakota song. Um, that is a song about being in the world and wanting to have a consort with a young lady because societies are very structured as they are in most cultures, you know, and you can't just walk up to a young lady and expect her to greet you, you know, she'll say, you're crazy, go away, <laughs> talk to my mother first. <laughs> yeah, go through the right channels. Yeah, so, yeah, but a lot of them, you know, let's see, there's one called Sheena Shah, which means I am walking around. Yeah. And that's a song that they say when the Spaniards brought the sheep into this country, um, they taught the young people how to herd them. So they're herd animals. And then they said, you have to get this particular kind of dog. But we didn't have any way to raise Pyrenees, you know, the giant dogs from the Basque people in mm. Northern Spain, but we did find a small Australian dog, it's a shepherd dog. Mm -hmm. They usually have one blue eye and one brown eye uh -huh. or one yellow eye and one, one brown eye, you know, <clears throat> but they're speckled and they are very good sheep herding dogs. And the Scots use them a lot. Yes. Um, as you go to Scotland, like I was recently, and I watched a man call his dogs by whistling or yeah. using a little bird whistle and the dog would run around and 
chase the sheep. And I said, how did you learn that? He says, oh, I trained these from an early time and they get used to my voice and the sounds that I do. Yeah. And usually somebody has to be out there to show them what I want them to do. <clears throat> and after they're trained a little bit, then they'll go out and do that. So I Am Walking Around is a song about that, yeah. you know. Um, they are going this way, they are going that way, and I follow, you know. What do you have a spiritual practice, RC? Like, what do you do? At, like, for me, my spiritual practice has changed over the last 20 years. So, I grew up in a Catholic family, and um, through my own learning and my own investigation, um, I've found what my own spiritual practice is and how that's different from the way I was raised. Do you have a spiritual practice and what would that be? My spiritual practice is entirely personal. Yeah. Um, it has nothing to do with a religious movement of one kind or another um, because I don't subscribe to mythic tales, you know. Um, but I did read the, the various, you know, versions of it. Uh, they're fairly similar, but the religions change them where in my way, I begin my day by doing a morning prayer. Um, I used to do it with my little cats, but they both passed recently. And we would stand at the front window and I would look out and feel the sun rising and think about the world and see the world in front of me. Living in Northern Mexico, of course, we have <clears throat> a lot of desert plants. And so mm. it makes it very interesting because I was raised in pine trees and oak and a lot of grass and mountains and seeing all of that, you know, as the light was <clears throat> coming over oh, yeah. the mountain. Now I'm in the desert. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> different. Right now. Yeah. yeah. So I pray about the world, for the world, with the world. Um, I talk to the birds and the plants that are around our house um, because we have learned in growing up to respect all life forms. And when I was stationed in Hawaii for a couple of years, I found that the Buddhists and their philosophy do the same thing that I do. Mm. And I found that even, again, going down into various countries, that many of those indigenous people do what I do. They pray for the world, hope it comes back a good, in a good way. And, and the rest of the day, people will have a good time living their lives and and working at what they like to do, you know. So it's all of that <clears throat> at once. Um, I spend most of my day, of course, thinking about many of those aspects of my own personal philosophy and listening very much to elder people um, and sometimes very young people. And it used to be the time before we became COVIDians um, that I could go onto a playground and just sit there and children would come by and tell me information that I go, how did you learn that? <laughs> I don't know. I just learned it. Uh, who taught you? I don't know. It just came. It's just, I said, you have a sense of awareness. Don't lose it. 
Yeah. I said, you know what the world is really about, but they're going to train you to forget all of that mm. and follow something that doesn't exist. I said, it's in you. I said, you're the essence of what we call in my cultures, in my tribal traditions, all life. Yeah. All life, everything that exists is what I'm related to, you know. I said, that's an important way to understand and to conceptualize how you move in the world. And be in the world. Never lose that dream, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. That's my spiritual journey, I guess it would be. What brings you the most joy at the moment? To say again? What brings you joy in your life? Where do you find joy? The greatest thing, I don't know. I think being able to see other people in their way. Uh, we recently went to Botswana, traveling from South Africa. Mm -hmm. Their way, um, talked to some of them. They gave me information. I inform them of how we think too and they said oh that's what this tribe does over here oh the zulus you need to meet the zulus they live over here <clears throat> they organize like you do and they have the same idea i said that's because we're the same people yeah i said you know all the people of the planet originated here in africa and we're going to the middle to see the the big Okavango before it floods again yeah. and see all the life forms there. I said, all of this stuff started here. It's amazing. Um, <clears throat> I'm entirely amazed by traveling around in the world. Yeah. Um, I think in the way that I was raised and how I was born, I traveled one year to Spain, Northern Spain, and it felt like it was at home. Yeah. You know, I could feel within me, I feel like I've been here before. Yeah. When I went to Scotland, same thing. I got way up into the highlands and I fell in love with, with the haggis and the black pudding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. Vegetables of all kinds. And the, um, of course, the beers, all <laughs> beers and scotches that they had. And I... Yeah, this feels like, you know, I could just stay here and eat all this food all the time. And I feel just like I'm at home, but yeah. I don't have a kilt. <laughs> no, no. So you, it's um, curiosity, I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's what drives you. Has that changed since COVID then? So I'm imagining you haven't done much traveling recently because of the, um, because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. yeah. I haven't had it. Um, we stay quite a bit away from people. Um, of course, it totally destroyed my touring schedules. Yeah, I was going to say, you wouldn't have been year. able to yeah, tour. Yeah, and everything that we were planning to do are now marked out or erased. And in the 2021 calendar, there's nothing. No. I'm doing maybe one possible event <clears throat> over in the central part of the American East Coast 
Um, it's called a feel-good festival, but we don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> so we might not be feeling good yeah. at that time. So, you know, may go out the window. I said, but I'm always here. Um, I don't play on the internet. No, I was going to say, you uh, haven't done lives on the internet. You don't, haven't adapted that way? Yeah. Um, well, I did, you know, I just, I found that many of the um, performances that were broadcast just didn't work that well. Mm. And I said, I don't wait. They want to feel good. They want to hear what I'm doing. They want to intuit what I do and how I do it. And I said, it's better to be in front of them. Yeah giving my soul away to them, you know, and, and praying with them, praying on them with my flute sounds, because <clears throat> everything that I do in the modern world deals with ensuring that people, one, have a good time when they're in my events, and two, don't realize that when I'm speaking in the languages, I'm actually giving them a prayer. Yeah, you're a blessing. I do that all the time. Yeah. And I've had other natives come to me and say, don't ever do that. These people are our enemies. They're from somewhere else. Remember what they did to us. I said, let me tell you something. <clears throat> the world goes on. And as the world goes on, you have to realize, too, that the people who people the North American and Central American continent came from somewhere else too and they were thrown away like what's happened to us mm. so we're all people we're all immigrants of one adversity or another mm. but we've got to learn to live together I said we're all different colors of the planet here in this small country called the United States but we're a multicultural society. I mean, everyone was here. And in the 60s, <clears throat> we tried to build a, a new world for ourselves by buying one of the islands out in the Pacific, yeah. near the middle where people couldn't get too easily, and put up our rainbow flag and say, this is a world culture. If you don't want to be here, don't come. But we are going to build a new society. Well, that quickly went out the window. Yeah you know, when the Vietnam thing started and all of this, you know, we were all reeked asunder at that point. But um, it's that dream, I still have it, you know, and even in today's COVIDian world, um, we've been sorely put upon by our political leaders, but I keep saying, I have to talk to somebody in power <clears throat> because we have to realize that we are all immigrants of yeah. the United States. There are no traditionally native people here. Yeah. We are changing every day. And the other is that all the people who came from other places were sent here because they weren't wanted either. So why are we fighting with each other in the modern world? You know. Yeah, I, it seems crazy. Isn't it stupid. I yeah, know that crazy. some other poet, but we're not letting it happen. Have you tried speaking to some like your politicians? Say again. Have you tried speaking to politicians to have them hear that message? 
Oh, yeah. They say, well, if you have the idea, why don't you work on it? Why don't you try teaching? I said, I've been teaching it. <clears throat> but people don't believe me because the overarching philosophy of the country itself is based on the incursion <clears throat> of the English um, imposition on the Americas. And rather than change, you know, the pilgrims and all those other people who came said, let's use what we came from. Mm. Rather than so using what we're living in, Yeah, we're living in a society that's not new. Although they speak about democracy, but <clears throat> we're actually living in a representative bureaucracy like the English did with their own people. Yeah. And as Scotsmen, they're still fighting for that independence. <laughs> yeah. And I go, ah, let's look at American Indians. Aren't they doing the same thing as the Scotsmen and the Picts and all the others? I said, maybe we should join them <laughs> and do a world revolution and say, okay, this is the end of all of that bureaucracy. We're taking over and everyone needs to learn to govern themselves and work with others. Yeah. It's a dream. It's a, it's a dream, but um, I, from when I work with people, that's my hope as well, that we all, we're, we are all the same. We're, we're not different. We all have the, we all want to be happy. We all want to raise our children. We all want to live in a peaceful society. We all want the same thing. We're all fighting for the same thing. It's, yeah, it's hard to, yeah, it, it, ups, it hurts me and upsets me to see what's happening because there's so much separation when there doesn't need to be separation. Mm -hmm. So what do you, so here's, you, sorry. Yeah. What do you here's think? One thing I wanted to do yep. was when I was teaching in the schools and I worked for the, what they call the Arizona Commission on the Arts mm -hmm. and teachers in various um, disciplines being a graphic artist and being a, an anthropologist um, of native peoples, <clears throat> I would go into the schools and I would say, okay, in order to make this a better world, like you're asking me, what should they do? Uh, go home and ask your parents and grandparents if they're still alive, who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? Mm. And when you learn that you are diverse in your own personal, internal culture, your spirituality, your way of thinking, your way of looking at the world is all inside of you from those ancestors. And then the next thing you clean out all the junk out of your closet and you buy an outfit from all the cultures that you're a part of. I said, so in America, <clears throat> if we can do that, you will have a closet dedicated just to the 52 weeks of culture that you will do every year. Mm. And every year, starting from January on, you know, you will have a different outfit that you can wear to a celebration of all the cultural diversity that we are, that you are and you'll recognize how important you are to yourself for knowing all these people that you carry within your bloodline. Mm. 
so beautiful. Simple. Simple. You know. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I, I think so too. And I agree. And I'm, yeah, I agree. There's so much more work to be done. So you're, do you think that your sole purpose then was to come here to help people realise that through your music, to bring connection to community? Would you say that's what your sole purpose is, to help bring people together through music? I think so. Well, I use music in that way. Yeah. But even the music that we do here in the United States, it's all African music. The jazz, the rock and roll, the, you know, and much of the um, <clears throat> cultural musics that the Europeans brought over with them because they still needed to remember their heritage, not political heritage they were forced out of, but the real heritage of the musicians and the artists and, you know, all the fine arts are based on families. They're not based on a political doctrine, but they're based on, my family did this. We made cheese, we made butter, we raised bees, we weaved clothing out of these materials. We did this, you know, um, but, but you're English, aren't you? No, 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 no. We were here before the church, and this is what we did to stay alive. And I want to pass that on to my children. Well, you do that. And you tell them the true story. You know, I mean, in this country, in the country I live in, <clears throat> we call it a $24 novel. It's called American History. And it has nothing to do with people. Yeah. You know, it has to do with political systems and how they control us. But it doesn't have anything to do with Jake, who lives down the road and is a farmer. Mm. Alice, yep. who lives over there on the other side of the hill, who fishes and raises fish in the streams. And then she raises different kinds of animals that we use to eat because yep. that's what they did in their homeland before they were removed forcibly. Because mm. they were the wrong religion. I said, but it's all one God. There's no difference. I agree. We call it all life, I said, because that God concept is in everything. Yeah. Plants, the trees, you know, the insects. The animals. The animals, you know, all of this. I said, oh, I don't know, please. <laughs> Have you been to Australia, RC? Say again? Have you been to Australia? I have been. I was just going to say, I was even spreading the word over and oh, up the coast from, um, I don't know, what was it? I forget even the place we were at, but it was a place where they said, oh, you don't want to go there. All the hippies live there. Oh, Byron Bay. Byron Bay. <laughs> and we went there and I said, God, I like this place. And, yeah. There were farmers, there were people raising bees and we had fresh honey, mm. raw honey. Yeah. So I was trying to get, you know, little um, problems with all the pollen around. They said, here, eat this honey. Yeah. It's raw, it's raised here in this country. You may have a reaction then go down and get some bee pollen, take that. So, you know, my, my best friend, the one that I live with today, yeah. Um, she's an herbalist. Okay. 
you know, and she learned too that her German French grandmother and her family on that side of her family, they were also people who lived off the land in Bavaria. Right. And I, oh my God, I love Bavaria. She said, yeah, that's where we're from. And the French side, we lived up in the north and, and we raised, you know, and we knew how to do the plants and the mushrooms and all. I said, wow. So I married to a, a doctor, a real doctor, you know, yeah. one who knows the land and how to use the plants and things yeah. for healing, you know. And I said, wow, this is great. I don't even go to hospitals anymore, yeah. except to get my COVID shot, you know, which I'm waiting on and to get my yearly flu shot, but that's about it. Yeah. It's been beautiful to talk with you today, Sarah. I know I've um, been on for 45 minutes now, so we'll finish up there. Thank you very much for being my guest. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, thanks. And, you know, I didn't put down anything, but if people want to communicate with me, they can do it with through Canyon Records, which I think the website was on the on the form I filled out. Awesome. I will add that all up to this, add that to all of my show notes so people will know how to contact you. Mm -hmm. And okay. I highly recommend listening to the music because it's I use it all of the time in my meditation. So I'm, I'm very thankful that you came to me. Mm. Thanks, yeah. Arcee. Well, here's the thing I always say. Don't forget to have a good time. Remember, you are the most important person in the world. See? Thank you. If you've been inspired by the guests on this podcast and you'd like more information about how to find your own soul purpose, you can contact us on rawheartandsoul.com for further information about our 4, 8 and 12-week programs. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on the podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Tanya Carroll and the producers, disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult with your licensed physician.